Jesse, I see you've been fighting again. This is your fault. Uh, how is this my fault? This is absolutely your fault. I for two reasons. One, I was off Twitter. Uh huh. For two months, no fighting on Twitter. Uh-huh. You you begged me to come back here. <laughs> no. No. You said, no. this is a direct quote, Jesse, if you don't return to Twitter, I'm throwing Moose off an overpass. No, I threatened to throw you off an overpass. I would never say that about Moose. Well, it was still scary. So I had to go back on. Also, the people I'm fighting with originally besmirched you. This has to do with Majority Report FM. I believe that's the name. I'm not going to check. Those assholes. They, I, I like just treating them like some obscure show no one's ever heard of uh when they're much larger than us but they originally besmirched your name many months ago and you freaked out about it remind people what happened i don't remember i can't remind people because i honestly have no idea i had completely blocked this out you got to fight i found these these un like not unhinged i do unhinged tweets too i don't mean this i mean this with love but these unhinged tweets where you were yelling at sam cedar for misrepresenting you and like calling you a turf or something you have no memory of this i don't i remember i got in a fight with him about something but i don't remember the details at all well Twitter, Katie Herzog. Let's not do this. I don't need to revisit my low moments. Let's not do this. This is not an intervention. I don't need an intervention. Let's not do this. Uh, anyway, uh, the long and the short of it is I got into a little bit of a tiff because um, I felt pretty badly misrepresented right up to the point where like it seemed sort of they do that. defamatory and I emailed them about it. They fixed it, but in a very snide way, and there was more fighting, and the long and the short of it is I'm going to call into their show on Tuesday, which I think was not a good idea, but more importantly <laughs> and substantively... So wait, 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 wait. So they didn't invite you on your sh- on their show. You're going to non-consensually barge into their show and have words with them, but you've, you're warning them first. Well, they said you can call in because they're, they're jerks, but I said... Is it Emma Vigiland or Vigland? I think it's Vigiland. I have to admit, I have never actually watched anything beyond the clips of her saying things like, yes, let's allow all of the recently transitioned rapists into women's prisons. That's unfair. That's unfair. She was presented with a real world scenario where one rapist was transitioned into, wanted to move to a men's jail. And she said, yes, if that's their gender identity. Yeah. So that's one of the things. I'm curious about, and she too. Wait, do you think I just misrepresented her? Do you think that she doesn't believe that across the board? She just like in one case, she would be like, "Yes, let's let this particular hypothetical rapist, not all the rapists." Because I think I think her position is let anybody who identifies as whatever gender they are into whatever prison they identify as. Katie, Katie, our podcast seal has in Latin accuracy first. All I'm saying is... And I think I'm being accurate. In the clip in question, she was asked, what about the situation in Scotland? Should this person be in a women's jail? And she said, if that's their gender identity, maybe a different person, she'd think about it differently. But I think you're probably right that she believes that that is an across-the-board rule. Um, I think she has also said about women's sports, quote, I don't care. <laughs> was that the exact quote? Is that quote? an actual... Well, you can't say quote and then ask if it's an exact quote. That's like something Majority Report you. would do. She definitely thinks that trans women should be allowed in women's sports. Without period. Do you know she knows thinks there should be restrictions? Oh, period. No restrictions. So as I said, I've only watched the like the clips that float around every th- every time she says something idiotic. Well, why don't hold on? Let, let me just talk. Uh, um, let me just talk over you to say one thing, which is okay. she's agreed to come on the show. Let's not do it. Let's to her credit, she's the first. So in the past, when people have talked smack, and you and I have felt like. You're not reflecting our true beliefs. You're being a little bit unfair. We've said, why don't you come on the show to discuss? Our batting average was zero, right? No one had ever yes. agreed to. 
I mean, people don't even usually answer the invitation. When we show up at their house at 5 a.m. and start knocking on the door, they just don't even answer. They pretend they're not there. They don't even bother to RSVP. In Emma's case, to her credit, she agreed to come on. That's how dumb she is, guys. That's how dumb. Don't, no, we're not antagonizing. Don't antagonize her further because then that'll give her an excuse to back out. Cut that. Bleep out the word you said, the D word. Okay. Okay, sure. This is exactly what I didn't want to do. She... We need to genuinely give her credit. She's coming on. She's coming on to a show where she knows she'll be grilled a little bit um, or at least asked tough questions. And we should give her credit for that. Whatever else we think about her. And it, hopefully it'll be an interesting episode. This will be an interesting test of our theory that it's more productive to talk these things out on the same audio line than it is to scream at one another on Twitter. Do you think it'll go well? How are you feeling about this? And it's going to be one-on-one just me and her. Well, in that case, it's probably going to be better because I feel hostility towards her. And when I feel hostility towards someone, I have a hard time. I'm a fighter. I have a hard time. Like emotionally, I get very heated. I have a hard time sort of hiding that. (laughs) I would be terrible in a debate because I I would start attacking someone's character immediately. So if it's going to be just the two of you, I anticipate it will be more productive. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't. I don't know why this is, but I feel like you and her are sort of hysterical <laughs> and emotional, yes. whereas I can just use the cold glow of reason and logic and not. It's because you think with your balls instead of your brain. I, I and we think have lady with my brains. balls. I'm a ballsy thinker. Yeah. Everyone's either a balls thinker or a, a uterus thinker. You know, what you got to do if it's got to be two. If it's going to be two women in a debate, you have to make sure nobody's cycling. <laughs> Well, what you really do, what, yeah, what, check out what you the really do charts. is you turn them against one another. That actually does work, yes. Emma, Katie called you dumb on the last episode. Care to respond? Uh, she probably wouldn't care. She'd get mad if I called her ugly, but not dumb. And she's not ugly. Yeah, this will be interesting. I think our, our two shows have very different styles. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Katie, in the meantime, what is the name of this increasingly adversarial podcast? This is Boxing Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single. And you're going to tell me a story this week, a story about about what we're gonna be talking about some recent uh, drama in davis california people uh, might know what i'm talking about but there's a, there's a little hint there davis yes yeah, so you're gonna tell me about that um, i'm gonna tell you an amazing story of direct action eyewitness that's a quick story uh so that should be good uh and before that jesse can i tell you about something that happened to me this week mm. I guess it depends, but go for it. Okay, so I'm a victim. Um, I as I as people know, <laughs> good, good start to any story. <laughs> as people know, uh, I'm going to LA. Unfortunately, you will. It turns out you will be there, but I'm going to LA. Hell yeah! In a couple weeks for this event with uh, the Free Press, this debate. Guys, Katie will be in room 248 at the Ace. Just go up and say hi to her. And uh, so I need. That's to, not her room. That's not her room. Don't go to room 248. So I need to get a haircut. I haven't had a haircut since the last time I, I had an event, which was um, our tour last year. So uh, my hair has grown quite long. And uh, so I was trying to make an appointment to get a haircut. And my, my wife suggested that we go see the stylist that we used to see in Seattle years ago before we moved out here to the peninsula because she also moved out to the peninsula and she has a – so she like works not too far from us. So so Jana, my wife, texted this stylist who she was who she was like used to be friendly with. Um, like she would come and do haircuts at Jana's house, things like that. And she texted her. And she said, you know, me and uh, my wife, Katie, are we're looking to, like, reestablish a haircutting relationship out here on the peninsula. Are you available? And she didn't text back. So I looked at her website and she had a bunch of openings. So I just, like, scheduled myself and Jana for haircuts. And really quickly after that, Jana got a text back that said, um, uh, actually, it's not going to work out. The, the haircut appointment's not going to work out? 
Yeah. Uh, any any explanation? No explanation. I will say this is a queer person from Seattle. Janet tried to make me feel a little bit better about this by saying maybe it's something that I did rather than no. I've met Janet. She doesn't. Yeah, she doesn't ever antagonize anyone. Yeah, I was like, what? Like you were too nice to her? Did you bake her too many cookies the last time <laughs> she cut your hair? Did you tip her too well? It's not something Janet did. I think we all know why. That's uh, I, yeah, a little bit fucked up. It's a little bit fucked up. Do you think I? Do you think she knew that I was going to ask for turf bangs? <laughs> I need you. I need you to give me a haircut that really screams. There's only two sexes, and I am violating my own sex role. Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty upsetting, mostly because I need to get my haircut. Now I don't know. Now I'm gonna like end up going to fucking great clips. Uh, but it was pretty upsetting because you know I don't like live within the horror of the cancellation every day. Like my life is is pretty good. And I just don't think about it that much other than like the context of talking about this show. But then something like this happens or like I'll realize that a long term friend like blocked me on Facebook or it'll be something like or like somebody will text me and be like, hey, I saw some graffiti in this bar in Seattle calling you a fascist. And it and it like I wish that I could say that it doesn't ruin my day, but it, it absolutely does ruin my day because it's this like very visceral reminder that there are a lot of people out there in the world who really fucking hate me. And they're, this is not because I've done anything to harm them personally. They hate me because of some like very mod, like mainstream opinions that I have. Anyway, so I think the only thing to do in this situation is I just I'm going to I'm like, you know, I'm like a, an angry, bitter woman. So I'm going to retaliate by growing out some very Caucasian dreadlocks. There you go. Uh, no, joke aside, I'm sorry about that because you've had. It's only happened to me a couple times in like very mild ways. You much more so for you because you you come from like a pretty radical queer background in Seattle and everything, and it's it's alarming. And um, I think it's for me what would most bother me is like the lack of any sort of she hears a negative rumor about you, this hairstylist, and she's like, well, that's it. Right. I'm going to cut this person off as a client. This is someone I actually know pretty well. Her wife baked me cookies. Uh, I just, yeah, it's not a good way to deal with people. And she did, like, she cut my hair after my detransition piece came out in 2017. Like, she's cut my hair since then. So uh, something must have happened in the past, you know, like four years that made that made me the sort of person that she can't be affiliated with, even, like, to go get a fucking haircut. So, and and nobody ever, like, reaches out to me and says, like, I heard this specific thing about you so I can defend myself. It's just, I'm just sort of left wondering, oh, I wonder what it was this time. Anyway. It's going to just turn out. She th- It's going to turn out. She just thinks the podcast sucks. That's totally fine. Like it the does. production qualities. It has nothing to do with the politics of it. <laughs> if, yeah. So if anybody in Kitsap County listening to this is a professional hair cutter or just handy with some scissors, reach out. I need a favor. Actually, that's this probably could, a very dangerous idea. <laughs> I was going to say, this could be a really good revenue stream because how yeah. often do you get a haircut once a year? What? How well, often? in general, no, but I'm like, I'm actually, I've been trying to, to grow out my hair. Not and I want to and I want to make this clear. Not because I'm trying to be more feminine. My long hair. I'm a long haired butch. It's like a like a metal guy with long hair. No, this is a revenue opportunity because if once a year we do like an online auction and whoever bids the highest to the show gets to cut your hair however they want. Yeah, that could raise some serious money. Give us the give me cornrows. We will be posting this mean hairstylist name, address, and social security number in the show notes. So make sure to check those out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm sorry about that, Katie. That is a frustrating experience. Well, and like fucking Janet needs a haircut too. She hasn't done anything wrong. Just and like yeah, I'm honestly more worried about Janet's hair than yours because like your hair isn't really. 
I mean, I don't. It's not like hair is her thing, but she has long hair. Right. You just, you just need like a baseball cap, basically. I mean, that's what I do generally. Do you want me to just bring my Boston Red Sox cap from like yeah. 2001? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I think there's like a risk by talking about this. Some people online are going to be ghoulishly cheering your like ostracization or exclusion. They're not going to listen to this. Yeah, I guess they mostly don't. People don't hate listen to podcasts. Well, that was a bummer of a story. Do you want to turn to a more inspiring story? Sure. So yeah, I want to talk briefly about this really inspiring moment of direct action I encountered on Twitter.com. Sorry, X.com. X. Has, have people started calling it X yet? What they're doing is they're saying X formerly known as Twitter. So I think that's like the first stage. Okay. So it basically had the first stage. Okay. The transition has begun. I, I assume at one point Twitter being just in a constant state of crisis will start leaking um, like a poorly built boat. And we're going to get these amazing stories about... You know, the time Elon Musk did ayahuasca in the Sonoran Desert and came back five days later and was like, I had a vision we should be called X, and that was it. Because it doesn't seem like much more thought is going into these decisions than that, right? We haven't heard any explanation for how this happened. I haven't heard anything other than the fact that he really likes the word X, the letter X. I mean, it is surprising that they're... One of his kids has like a weird X character in it, right? His name, yeah. Her name or whatever. It is weird that there haven't been more leaks about what's going on inside, but my assumption is that the people who are still at Twitter are probably kind of true believers and he's gotten rid of everyone else. I think, no, they fired a lot of the staff, but a lot of folks are just like hanging on for dear life, which I guess would be another good reason not to leak. Right. Anyway... I saw this amazing thing on Twitter, Katie. Uh, what was it? I'm I'm not new to sort of incredible acts of defiant, triumphant defiance in the streets. I was there the night Obama won in D.C., dancing on U Street. I was at his inauguration. I went to the Women's March after Trump was elected because as I... Did you wear a pussy hat? No, that would have been... Um, what's the word? Appropriation? Yeah, that was going to use a different cringe. word. But yes, appropriation and cringe. Um but I've not, I'm not sure I've ever seen the display of in the streets direct action I witnessed this week, a multicultural rainbow coalition of activists all uniting as one to fight for a better world. It was astonishingly inspiring. And what was this cause they were advocating for? These brave souls all banded together to scream at and tear up the signs of a group of climate protesters who were blocking a highway <laughs> last Saturday morning in Washington, D.C. Katie, read this tweet and then let's embed the clip. On Saturday morning, at deck emergency climate activists blocked the street in Washington, D.C. again, their third time this week. This time, several drivers got out of their cars yelling, I want to go to work and grabbing their banners out of their hands. And here's the video. I want to walk. I want to go to walk. Don't run the man. People are heroes. They really are. <laughs> you know, not a, not all heroes wear capes. It's true. What is deck emergency? Declare emergency. Some sort of climate activist group. Um, I, I didn't look that deeply into it because they they have like two thousand followers. They don't seem to be anyone. They they might. Someone on Twitter said they're like connected, and maybe to some broader organization that's done similar stunts. But um, as you and many others pointed out. 
this might as well have been like an oily, oily, an oil company front group, right? Oh, one hundred percent counterproductive. Uh, so counterproductive. And there's there's like research on this. I looked this up yesterday. So there are several studies that that report that. When you really, really inconvenience people doing things like blocking... They love it. (laughs) They're huge fans of it. Like blocking their way to work. Uh, So anyway, so there's there's research on this, and it shows that people... This is alienating to people. It makes them less likely to support your cause, which is very, very fucking obvious. I would honestly not be surprised if, like, there are oil executives sitting around going, like, hey, I got an idea, guys. (laughs) Let's fund these college students. <laughs> or like the actual protesters in the streets are just obvious Russians. Right. I am a climate <laughs> protester. Right. I am American. Right, right. That was my ex- that was my Russian accent. So I read a New York I just was like I don't I don't think there's been any reporting that there are actual connections between like ExxonMobil and these climate groups. But I, I just did a quick Google yesterday and I read a New York Times article about how some errors to get to oil fortunes are funding some of these protesters. So indirectly, they sort of are funding these groups. So people who, you know, whose grandfathers founded an oil company feel bad about all of this wealth that their family has. And so they're sinking it back into this into this movement. But they're doing that in this incredibly counterproductive way. And I found this, so this New York Times article, I found this uh, this great paragraph. This is the New York Times quoting a director. Her name is Margaret Klein Sol- uh, Solomon. She's a director of one of these uh, these funds that that bankroll climate activism. And the quote is, but Ms. Solomon, an activist backed by the Climate Emergency Fund, said pushback was inevitable. They pointed to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who, according to a Gallup poll, had a 63 percent disapproval rating in the years leading up to his death. They think that they are Martin Luther King, Jesse. So no lie. I had in my notes, I was going to ask you about that because I, I let's look, we both think this is stupid and counterproductive, but there's a little part of me that's like, how do we know that 20 years from now, we won't look back and cringe and be like, these guys were right. This was such an emergency. We had to lay down. Like there were, I, I literally had the same line in my notes. There were all these people back in the 60s who insisted Martin Luther King Jr. had gone too far. He was deeply unpopular. How can we know for sure we're not falling for, for the same trap? Jesse, climate change is an emergency. I agree with these people. But you know what a really bad way to fight climate change is? Force a bunch of people to idle their cars in the streets. <laughs> like, not only are you making people worse for late, and we have research showing that this alienates people from the cause. They are make they are for, they are burning more fossil fuels. They are backing up traffic. People are idling their cars in the fucking streets. <laughs> like, it's directly counterproductive. <laughs> You're also potentially drawing... <laughs> Potentially drawing police and emergency vehicles there, increasing the uh, the carbon footprint of the whole event. Right. Did you see the great video? So this happened in D.C., but there was also a great video of this happening outside Burning Man. Did you see this? I did not know. Okay, so this one, some some like police drive through a protest. They don't hurt anybody. Oh, I saw them drive through it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Here's the great thing. It's a bunch of white protesters blocking the way to Burning Man. And so alienating their, their like people who agree with them. And the police officers who drive through this protest, they're native. They're on tribal lands. <laughs> right. And the other thing about this is like this doesn't just alienate regular uh, Burning Man people are not regular everyday people. But people driving to, driving to fucking work on the streets of D.C. are just regular people trying to go about their lives who are being inconvenienced in this way. Those people 
cannot do anything about climate change. We cannot do anything about climate change. We can't. Yeah. Like the system is 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 much bigger, much bigger than the individual here. So if you want to make a meaningful difference, to me, a much better way to do this would become like, I don't know, like go get a job as one of those solar salesmen who go door yeah. to door or like go advocate for like the adoption of nuclear energy because this ain't doing it. It's really not. And honestly, like I've, I'm deeply concerned about climate change. I really am. These people, they make me want to right now go and just like turn on my van and just idle my like fucking gas hogging van because I cannot stand these people. I cannot stand their attitude. I also I, I, I've developed brain worms on some of the identity stuff just from the way people talk about it online. So I couldn't help but notice the intersectional nature of this pileup on the Washington Highway. It seemed like the people sitting there were I, I, I might have missed something. They seemed like predominantly older white people. The people yelling at them trying to get to work were were much more diverse. So it's just the the optics of it are not great. It's it wouldn't be my preference to talk about everything in terms of race, but it's constantly mentioned, oh, climate change will more affect these groups than these groups. So you just have this weird thing of like and also like on a Saturday morning, there's probably less people on the highway, so you're inconveniencing fewer people, but you're inconveniencing you're more likely to inconvenience people who have very little control right. over their schedule because you have to go to work right. on a Saturday morning. So it's just not yeah, there's like so many ways to make it's like a horrible problem. It's an emergency. We are making progress with renewables. That's my understanding. There's a million things you could do to speed that along, like you said, to advocate advocate for nuclear power. I think there's just like I don't know. I don't want to diagnose people from afar, but a certain type of person wants to physically be at the center of the action and draw attention to themselves as a form of protest. When often you could do just as much good by writing a check right. to an effective right. cause. You know? There was a speaking of the intersectional pileup nature, uh, unfortunate use of terms here. But do you remember during tw the 2020 protest in Seattle, a like white non-binary young protester was hit by a car when they shut down the freeway, shut down I-5? Vaguely. I'm not sure I remember that, to be honest. OK, so this person was killed and the driver was a black man. And he's in prison now for running. I mean, shouldn't he be if he ran over a protester? No, he should. He should be in prison. But this protest that was about black men in prison, black men in policing, in part, landed a black man in prison. landed a black man in prison. Landed a yes, got someone killed and landed a black man in prison. It's just it is incredibly ironic, tragic, but ironic. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Right, <laughs> These people just get on the fucking freeway. Get off of the, the road. It's such a horrible story. I'm laughing at. I agree. I, I'm not sure that's a great example because someone died, and what are you going to do but put someone in prison? It's the guy's fault. He drove on the fucking freeway. But yeah. they, to me, to I me, mean, the better sorry to me, the better example of that was like the Chaz Chop thing, where these the. We have we're going to take over the streets of Seattle from the cops who kill everybody, and then two young kids are killed in the subsequent I think it was like, more than two. malicious yeah, yeah. state that emerges in this like two right. block. Anyway, um, get out of the get out of the highway is is the take home message I think right? Yes, get off the fucking road, take the bus, get off the road. Can I make one other sort of cliche point before we move on? Sure. This popped in my head randomly, but it's something that bothers me a while. I'm probably not the first to point it out. Katie, are you familiar with Martin Luther King Jr.? Uh, yeah, we just talked about him. I know, but uh, do, you, do you get his message? Do you agree with it? Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it, yeah. Okay. The, uh, I was at the London meetup. I met a listener who is a history podcaster. He said something like, um, I don't remember exactly what he said, but basically he was a little bit mad and jealous at this podcast, The Rest is History. Have you ever listened to that? No. It's just two British guys talking about history. It's 
so good. It's so good. It's very popular. I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard of it. Highly recommend it. Um, I'm just dipping in now. They just did an episode on the I Have a Dream speech, which I highly recommend. Did you know, maybe this is something everyone who paid attention in school knows. Did you know that the night before the speech, MLK and his team almost were like, let's not use that I Have a Dream line? Really? Yeah, he had used it. He had been giving so many speeches, like 350 speeches a year, speaking everywhere. And if you do that, you're going to recycle certain themes, certain lines. And at least one of his advisors was like, Dr. King, like you already used this I have a dream thing. Let's not recycle it. And I guess there's some uncertainty about whether he got up on the stage that day thinking he wouldn't use it, and the spirit just sort of moved him to use it, but it almost wasn't part of the speech, which wow. I found kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder what the first line that someone's going to use in a speech like that that becomes really iconic is going to be that was actually written by ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, anyway, the thing that, that always bugs me, and of course, this is a stupid thing to complain about because it's people online, but the way people sort of summon MLK from the dead to make their dumb political points, they often talk about how he didn't like white moderates. So I'll just read a little bit from the letter from Birmingham jail. The white, he talks about, he's complaining about quote, the white moderate who is more devoted to order in quotes than to justice, who prefers a negative piece, which is the absence of tension to a positive piece, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, quote, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, end quote, who paternalistically feels he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until, quote, a more convenient season, end quote. I feel like this guy's got kind of a way with words, you know? Yeah. And then what people don't know is that he ended that with, duh, Karen. <laughs> the, well, so in the original, you know, he wrote this out from prison and he had duh, Karen, and one of his advisors scratched it out, but we don't know if it was intended to cross it out or underline it. Right. So it's sort of right. a succession type of situation. Yeah. Um, this is, it's an amazing line. It's something that anyone who's in a position of comfort should think about, but, but you sort of... If you just talk about that side of King, you also leave out the other side, which is like, I'm not going to even try to get into the real history here, but there was a sort of more militant wing of the civil rights movement embodied by Malcolm X. And there were people who, to my mind, very reasonably, given this, the 60s, were like, dude, we've been waiting forever. What's with this nonviolent stuff? We, we need to really fight back. And there's like some complicated history there about King sort of on the one hand criticizing the white moderates, on the other hand, like really encouraging people not to go the violent route, not to not to loot, not to riot, even as he said he understood that. So I just sort of find it obnoxious when people are like, well, you know, they sort of imply that Martin Luther Luther King would have been straightforwardly like unbothered by looting or rioting or acts of violence, but I, I don't think anything suggests that's the case. I think he really was trying to sort of forge a path between complacency and, and counterproductive forms of direct action. So I don't know. That's just always bugged me the way everything gets flattened and made more stupid in online arguments. And because he was, um, I know you disagree with me on this, but I actually think Martin Luther King Jr. was a pretty good guy. Well, that's very bold of you, Jesse. Um, yeah. So the other thing about, I think you make a good point about Martin Luther King the point, the other thing about these climate protesters is like, okay, stop traffic, piss people off. What's the next step? Like, what are you proposing? I mean, to me, that's one of the frustrations here is like, I need to see some real policy proposals and not just like get off of fossil fuels because we have a big fucking economy. This is not something that's just like, you can't just flip a switch and all of a sudden we're not going to use gas anymore. Right? Like, 
Well, actually, we we so we can find out in the case of this declare emergency group that's at deck emergency. I went to their website, which first of all, if you have like, just be careful because that's a bright red background. It's a tough read. Here's the top part of it. Billions of people will starve to death in the coming decades as elites fill our atmospheric quote unquote gas chamber. Question that is uh, <laughs> with fossil fuels for power and profit. Our food systems yes. will break down. It's only elites who drive, Jesse. Only elites who, who heat their house with fucking gas. We're mad at the elites, so we're going to block people going to work on a Saturday morning. Right. Our food systems will break down. Billions will be forced out of their homes and countries. This means war, starvation, slaughter. Oh, hold on, let me, Katie. I'm Katie? getting so mad. Katie, teach the controversy. This means war, starvation, slaughter, and rape on a global scale. And the collapse is coming here, too. The science is clear. The use of fossil fuels must end immediately if we hope to survive. So just a couple things on this. What you mentioned earlier about research showing what works and what doesn't work, I'm honestly always skeptical of any research on these sorts of persuasion questions just because like psycho- psychological science is such a mess. I do think we we – I don't know if we know. Sure. I think there's strong reason to suspect that a message – of profound, paralyzing despair is the worst way to persuade people. Billions of people will starve to death in the coming decades. We're in a gas chamber. Everyone's going to rape you. Help us, help us, help us out. That's the thing. They see These people, they seem to think that you can literally just flip a switch and all of a sudden we're all going to be existing on wind and solar. It's ridiculous. Like, like parts of the of the world are industrializing now, and this is going to be fantastic for their citizens. <laughs> I, dude, their demands are just like okay. First, declare a climate emergency. Yeah, that'll do stuff. But remove the U.S. from the international oil economy. Like that alone. If you compared the death toll, and I mean that because as much as I hate it, oil keeps people alive. Yes. I'm from Boston. Oil keeps people alive. Halt crude oil exports. Wait, what does Boston have to do with it? No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, being from a cold place, like, oh, oil yeah. keeps oil keeps people alive. Uh, oh, wait, you know what we should do, Jesse? Instead, let's burn trees. Instead, let's do that. But when you so when you read this demand, remove the U.S. from the international oil economy, halt crude oil exports, restrict international trade and private investments in fossil fuels. Look, everybody dislikes fossil fuels, even if we acknowledge like they're necessary to the economy. But like, if if this ever happened. It would be a worldwide economic disaster. I guess Billions I'm one of, those, of people those would evil die. White moder- <laughs> I guess I'm one of those evil white moderates because I don't think you should remove the U.S. from the international oil economy. And also, it would not change the fact that global warming is still a big fucking problem because of places like China. If you're trying to get the U.S. to pull out of the international oil economy, why don't you go to the homes, I, which I don't agree with that policy, but why don't you go bother the people who actually make those decisions right. instead of people who work at Denny's? I don't understand. Right. Je- Je- Jesse. Denny's runs on fossil fuels. Got to shut him down. All right. I feel like we've given these guys enough attention. Should we move on? Yes, let's move on. Hey, at least they're not, at least when they're blocking traffic, they're not throwing stupid paintings. That's true. Or are they doing it at the same time? Well, no, I'm in favor of that. I think think art is stupid, so I'm in favor of that. Um, Should we do housekeeping before we move on? Let's do it. We are blocked and reported. We are a podcast. We are in favor of throwing tomato soup at bad art. Only if it's bad art, you decide. Only bad. Against blocking traffic in Washington, D.C., Check us out at blockerreported.org. Uh, you can become a premium subscriber, a primo, uh, where for just $5 a month and up, you can get three extra episodes of this podcast a month. And you can join our amazing community of more than 12,000 people. The weekly comment sections are 
to use the younger languages vocabulary in a fully up-to-date way, I would say they're on fleek. They're lit. They're lit. They're too, they're radical. Don't have a cow. We also have merch, barpodmerch.com. Let's just take off off the top of our heads all the kinds of merch at the same time. Hats. Hats. <laughs> uh, tote bags. <laughs> Uh, oh, we sell we sell sort of weapons to police um, bar pod banded semi automatic rifles to to police departments. That's a new thing we added. And hoodies, and hoodies, tote bags, hats. We should probably. I'm wearing a bar pod hoodie right now. I have no. I so this uh, the merch company we use. I'm supposed to be entitled to free merch from them. I have yet to ask for it, so I should get some. You should you should do that, and you should wear exclusively bar pod merch on dates. That's a really good idea. Um, BlockedReported.reddit.com. That is our subreddit. And then what else? What am I forgetting? Uh, I think that's it. Well, I mean, I was going to say we're going to be at this thing in LA, but you don't like interacting with the public. Are you just going to stay in your room and then have someone sort of hurry you into and out of the auditorium? What's your strategy? I was actually hoping that you would just like call me on speakerphone from the event so I could just Mm -hmm. listen to it without actually having to leave leave my hotel room. If you found out that Grimes was requesting a personal audience in her floating chamber, mm-hmm. would you go? Of course I would. I'd have to, I need to, I've got some questions about Elon. <laughs> Do you think Elon will be there? Maybe. I don't know. Although he stopped following, he got mad at Barry over the Twitter files. Over, what was, why did he stop following her on Twitter? Mad at Barry over the yeah, Twitter Yeah, it was, it was after the Twitter files. It was maybe, you know what I think it was? I think it was when he was blocking substack links maybe anyway he unfollowed her at some point well this is rolling stone so so take it with a grain of salt elon musk blasts crony barry weiss for disagreeing with journalist ban oh i remember this oh that's right Wait, who did they banned that's though? right he banned a bunch of journalists who pissed him off and barry said something about it i'm curious like if you okay if you encountered in real life someone like elon musk who at this point i have very profound disagreements with what he's doing a, would you like bring those disagreements up in person, or would you puss out? I think I'd puss out. B, would that be at all product? Would it be at all productive, or would they just get defense? Because, like, on one hand, you have a chance to like, you know, express in a polite way your disagreement with this person. On the other hand, I think that's harder to do in practice, right? You know, I almost was in the same space as Elon Musk a while ago because I got a call from the Bill Maher people about going to do their show. And I said I didn't want to do it because they were talking about some, the docket was like about a bunch of shit I don't have any knowledge of. And I try not to talk about things I don't understand on national television. Uh, so I told them that they should have Michael Moynihan because he can talk about anything at any point. They yep. did. And it was the show that, that Elon Musk was Get on. some whiskey at him anytime. Yeah, seriously. So uh, so so Moynihan did, did I believe, meet Musk. Um, but I, I, I missed the opportunity there. Well, we'll be in LA. So... Maybe we'll see some of you guys. Uh, anything else for housekeeping? Blockdoorimported.org. Blockdoorimported.org. All right, Jesse, our next segment takes place, as mentioned, in Davis, California. What do you know about Davis? California is roughly beautiful, cool places with beaches and mountains. And then this like agricultural interior where all like the Republicans live and it's like strip malls. Do I have that right? I feel like Davis is in the strip mall place or am I misremembering? Well, Davis, there are no Republicans in Davis. So it's the northern part of the state. It's about 70 miles north of San Francisco. It is inland. It's about a 15 minute drive west of Sacramento. Uh, But there's a big freeway between Sacramento and Davis that separates them both physically and and culturally. It's a college town. Emotionally. Emotionally. A company town. So it's home to UC Davis. It's the big employer. And like most college towns, 
It's overwhelmingly progressive and very highly educated. So here's this little statistic that I think tells you a lot about Davis. Only about 2% of residents are black. Nearly 15% of residents have doctorates. So you have about seven times as many PhDs as you have black people in Davis. <laughs> if you if your goal if someone pointed a gun to your head, it was like we're going to drop you in a in a town of your choice. The first person you talk to needs to be insufferable, or we're going to shoot you. That's the ratio you would use. Totally, totally. Ratio of PhDs to black people, and and this would be a good place to go. Yeah, and as you can imagine, it is politically very homogenous. So if you look at a map of the 2020 election results. Davis is deep blue surrounded by these red rural areas. And in most precincts in town, Biden won by nearly 90% of the vote. So very blue. Okay. Okay. So so I was almost, a little part of me was almost right about this being around where the Republicans live, but Davis itself is just a total blue college. Town. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So Davis has been in the news recently because of an event that took place at the public library. And the event was a public talk about trans women and women's sports. And we'll get to why this became a national news story shortly. But I want to tell you what led up to this event. And this begins with a Davis resident named Beth Bourne. So Beth is a central character in the story, and she's become the person in Davis fighting against, among other things, gender ideology in schools. Uh, She's been in Davis for a long time. She moved there for grad school. She studied city planning and community development. And she's now an employee at the university, like, like most people there. Beth also has a a trans child who she is now estranged from. So Beth tells me that her child, a natal female, was from her perspective a sort of classic ROGD case. And for those who don't know, that means rapid onset gender dysphoria. So basically someone who doesn't present with gender dysphoria from a young age. Uh, Beth's kid currently goes by they, them pronouns. So that's what I'll use here. But according to Beth's retelling, before they came out as a trans guy, they went through some trauma, were suffering from anxiety, depression, had some poor coping mechanisms, including engaging in self-harm. And they were in a school with lots of trans kids, and the school really embraced this. So when her kid came out as a trans boy at school at age 12 and requested that teachers use boy names and male pronouns, this was kept from Beth. We should acknowledge like rapid onset gender dysphoria is a hypothesis and it's incredibly controversial. Some people deny it could possibly exist, which I think is silly because kids are influenced by their peers. And I'm the humans are, not just kids, like like everybody yeah. is. I'm not I'm not trying to like throw up my good liberal flag here, but it is fraught and complicated to talk about a situation like this where we only have the mom side and we don't have the kid side. So we should acknowledge that, right? Yes. So I did reach out to the kid via social media to try to get their side of the story. I did not hear back from them as of when recording this. So what you're going to hear is purely the mom's perspective. And I'm sure the kid would disagree with or dispute a lot of what Beth says. They are on opposite sides of this issue. Okay. Um, and I got to ask, what, was this not telling the parents thing? Is also controversial. Was that school policy at this in the school district? Yeah. So Colin Wright, he went to UC Davis and he he like went there for grad school or undergrad. I'm not sure which one. But he, he went back and he wrote about what's going on in Davis at the beginning of the year. And he got a hold of a number of internal documents from the school system. And according to those documents, it is district policy that a student must give written consent before their, quote, transgender or gender nonconforming status is disclosed to their parents. And there are a lot of trans kids in these schools. So there were apparently five trans identifying kids in one sixth grade class. Of how many of how many kids? So according to Beth, so she was calling source for a lot of these documents because she files a lot of public records requests. There were between 26 and 28 kids in this class. And five of them were trans? Yeah, normal. Okay, so it's like 20%. Yeah. 
No comment. So Colin also got data from various district surveys. And in a 2020-2021 report, quote, in response to the question, what is your gender? 6% of 7th graders, 5% of 9th graders, 7% of 11th graders, and 16% of NT, that's non-traditional students, indicated that they were something other than male or female. For 11th graders, 5% claimed a non-binary identity. And these numbers are well above national or even California averages. This is sort of why, and and we should be clear, I think all the available evidence suggests like most of these kids won't be seeking hormones or anything, or there's no really good... But this is why like it's so silly to pretend there's not some social aspect to this. It's just some kids decide... They're not. They cycle through these identities. Like this has been known for right. years. Kid, their friends come out as non-binary. They they attach some meaning to that. They come out as non-binary. It doesn't really mean anything about their long-term identity, but it's obviously there's a social component in that they find out these terms get used in a very different way from the way adults use. Anyway, it's just silly to pretend that high school students aren't influencing one another. But yeah. Human behavior, we are a very mimetic species. It is a denial of like the basic nature of what it is to be a human to deny that we are influenced by our peers in this way. Like we're like it like it's like it's okay for people to to be influenced by their peers in terms of like what they wear and what they eat and what music they listen to, but it couldn't possibly be true that they are influenced by their peers in, in terms of how they identify. It's just it's I, ridiculous. I was a good person until I met you. Right. I was a good person. Right. Now I'm a bigot. That's what we mean. But well, I will say you get a lot of um, people are sort of playing language games. Like they'll be like, ROGD isn't an official diagnosis. No, it's a hypothesis. Uh, also, we don't know if these kids have gender dysphoria. We just know they're right. adopting these identity labels. I I would love someone to write in if I'm wrong, and I will highlight my wrongness in the next episode. I've never heard anyone ever who gets mad about this stuff or who denies that this is happening explain how it could possibly be the case that this is the one element, the one element, Katie, of adolescent life where they're not influenced by their peers right. and the culture. Everything else, everything. Kids decide that they're not the religion their parents say they should be. They decide they should get tattoos. They listen to good bands like The Cure or bad bands like Linkin Park because of peers. They vape. Um, they play video games. The, the, the radical theory is not RGD. The radical theory is that this is the one area of teenage life exempt from these forces. I would love just one person to offer a good faith explanation of uh, how that could be. And if that explanation exists, someone please email us. Kids know who they are, Jesse. That's the explanation. Wait, sorry, you did it wrong. Kids yeah. know who they are. <laughs> exactly. All right. So this debate about whether or not schools should have to disclose when kids come out as trans, is this is growing at the moment. So a while ago, we talked about this New York Times article by Katie Baker about about this conflict. And what it comes down to basically is a parent's right to know what's going on with their kids versus a kid's right to privacy and which of these competing interests the school should honor. And a number right now, a number of more conservative school districts in California and elsewhere are debating or are now requiring parental notification if a kid asks for name or pronoun changes, et cetera. And this will, of course, likely soon be followed by more blue districts, like those of Davis requiring that schools not tell parents, and then the cycle goes on forever until we're all dead. Which is hopefully soon. Yeah. Okay, so right out front, like, Beth is not supportive of her kid, of her kid's trans identity. She doesn't think her kid is trans. She doesn't want her kid to take hormones or blockers. And she has fought both her kid and her ex-husband over these issues in court. The the kid, sorry, the kid wants, I forget if you mentioned this, the kid wants to take blockers and hormones? The kid did. The kid's identity is sort of changing right now, but at one point, yes. Uh, Kids' identities don't change. They know who they are. 
Right. And so from Beth's perspective, and of course, this is just Beth's perspective. I didn't talk to the kid. Her refusal to allow the kid to take blockers and hormones is in some ways sort of a convenient excuse for the kid to explain why they're not taking blockers and hormones. Does that make sense? I would do it, but I can't because my mom will let me. Oh, wait, sorry. So you're saying Beth is claiming that the kid doesn't really want that? Yes. Yeah, she doesn't think her kid is trans. Well, but but the kid, this has to have started with the kid requesting to take blockers and hormones. Right. Okay. All right. So the ex-husband was able to file a gender marker and name change in court. So the kid's birth certificate now says male, and their legal name has changed to a male name. But Beth has been able to prevent her kid from medically transitioning, at least until they're 18. Uh, as you can imagine, this has been a source of conflict. And the kid has spoken out publicly against Beth's activism on the issue, including at at least one school board meeting where mother and child were on opposite sides. But the kid is now a senior in high school and is, from what Beth can tell in terms of social media and shit like that, the kid is now considering themselves non-binary and has changed their name from a male name to something more gender neutral. So Beth thinks that, basically Beth thinks that the kid is desisting on their own. Okay, so Beth has become a, a real activist against social and medical use transition because of this experience with her kid? Yeah, but it's more than that. So last fall, she went on a retreat for parents of ROGD kids. This was with Jen Speck. And she spent three days with other parents who were going through similar struggles. And she met people who were more publicly active than she'd been, including a woman in Davis. And that's decided, like, if they can do it, I can do it. So she became an activist against, for lack of a better term, gender ideology in schools, trans women in sports, pediatric transition, kind of the works. Uh, the spectrum of gender wang, as John Kay calls it. So uh, what kind of protest does she do? Does she does she lie down on the <laughs> I-5 to block trucks? Yeah, trucks full of puberty blockers. You will be late to work, so my kid's puberty arrives on time. Right, so her first protest was outside the high school. This was earlier this year. Uh, the school brought in a speaker named Rachel Pepper, who co-wrote a book called The Transgender Child. The event was open to all students over 12, and Beth was, she told me that she was furious that the school would sponsor this kind of event, so she organized a, a protest, which was sort of her, like, coming out as a turf. Uh, she did wear sunglasses and a face mask, so I guess it was a soft coming out. And she's super active on Facebook, so she posts a lot about what's going on in schools in particular. And for someone with her specific position on this stuff, there's a lot to complain about. This is a school in Davis. And I'm not just talking about trans flags in the classroom, which, of course, there are a lot of. Like, she recently posted an email that she got from her son's school principal. So that's the trans kid's brother, not the trans kid. And the email detailed terms that were going to be introduced in the son's ninth grade health, health class. And those terms included, like, there was the typical, you know, trans, intersex, two-spirit, blah, blah, blah. But it also included genderless, agender, bigender, and trigender – which I, I don't know what that is. It sounds like a kind of pasta. Have you heard that before, trigender? Or like when you when you try to be your gender, but it just won't fit. Yeah, exactly. You'll try anything. Uh, and so the principal said that she could opt her son out of class, but instead she actually sat in in the health class with him, which, of course, <laughs> no, right. mom. No. Right. Tw- wait, this kid's 12? He, it's like ninth grade. Oh, my God. Can you imagine yeah. your ninth grade and your mom joins you Checked for some? It. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Uh, so totally embarrassing, um, but that gave her the opportunity to see exactly what he was being taught. And so she sent me the slides from the presentation. This presentation was given by an outside sex educator, and it was definitely weird. Like they had these photos of like Laverne Cox and these super hot buff trans guys as if those people are at all representative of that population rather than, you know, like trans guys with big hips and pube stashes and trans women who look like Iggy Pop. I just think it's likely to give students a a skewed perspective on what to expect. Like one slide had a photo of Miley Cyrus 
and said that she's neither a man nor a woman. Wait, sorry. What does that what does that mean? That Miley she, Cyrus. Is- that's what it said. It said that she's neither a man nor a woman. Does she identify? Did I miss it? She like briefly was calling herself genderqueer or gender fluid or something. It says she right on her Wikipedia page. I know. Like how every- is Miley Cyrus not a man or this is just like fault? I th- the the, yes. the misinformation crisis. At one point, she did come out as gender fluid or one of those fake identities. But anyone who has seen her music videos knows that she's very much a woman. I didn't know her birth name was Destiny Hope. I didn't know that either. Expressed her parents' belief that she would accomplish great things. She did. And then she changed it. Yeah. Uh, There was also, in this presentation, there was also some bullshit about, like, third genders and other cultures, which we've talked about on the show before. And it's just, it's often a misrepresentation of what's going on in these places. Honestly, though, it, like, it could have been worse. At least they didn't include the fake left-handedness graph. Uh, By the way, the school principal told Beth... She was not allowed to share the curriculum with other Davis parents and that they needed to meet with the health teacher themselves if they wanted to see the curriculum because I, it was I, copyrighted. I'm sorry. Is anyone in this store, any of the adults in this store going to come off as remotely sane or level-headed? What's, what's going to happen when you tell a parent activist, okay, you can see the curriculum. You're not allowed to share it with other parents. It's just you're asking for trouble. This is so... I feel bad for the kid caught in the middle of this. It, that, there are all these situations. There are so many situations where mom and dad disagree about a kid's gender stuff. And it's just... Can you imagine on top of everything else growing up dealing with that? It would suck. Right. And then you're in a small town and everybody in this town knows that your mom's like the activist. It is... It's... Yeah. It's really tough. And and Beth has become increasingly politically active on this issue. So she's testified before the school board, the city council, the state senate. And this has, as you can imagine, made her extremely unpopular in Davis. She's probably the most despised person in this town, even more so than the serial killer who was ha- who was haunting the town this spring. They actually did have a serial stabber in Davis. So people fucking hate Beth. And you can see this from the comments on her Facebook page. A lot of hate, a lot of hostility. They blame her for everything that has happened recently, which we will get to shortly. And the fact that Beth's own kid has spoken out publicly against her gives them a lot of ammunition. So it's the kind of a classic cancellation campaign where she's been dropped by longtime friends, her employment has been targeted, and people affiliated with her have been targeted as well. So, like, we have a listener who's friendly with Beth. They're on the same swim, swim club. And he sent us a message his ex-wife got on Facebook from someone that was like, hey, I noticed your friends with Beth Bourne. I would encourage you to sever that connection. She's poison to our town, et cetera. Does, does she have any supporters there? Very little in public. So she's on this master swim team, and she told me that the swimmers are more on the same page as her because of the whole issue of trans women and women's sports. Another swimmer on the team said that was true. And this doesn't particularly surprise me. So anyone who spends a lot of time in a bathing suit knows for sure what a woman is. But for the most part, she really does not have public support. I talked to a couple of Davis residents, one of whom is more conservative, one who is more connected to the lefty activist types and who's queer. And they both said that for the most part, if people support Beth or even if they agree with her but disagree with her tactics, they keep their mouth shut. And this is especially true because Beth has brought in the big guns to help her out in Davis. Moms for Liberty. Jesse, you're familiar? Yeah, I think the best way to understand is like after George Floyd was killed, there was this giant swelling of left wing or left of center activism centered on Black Lives Matter that shook America and and really turbulent, turbulent couple of years. And since then, there's been a backlash to some of this stuff. And one of I think one of the most successful groups as part of this backlash is Moms for Liberty, which is like a, you know, right wing group that focuses on, on basically parental rights. Correct. Yeah, you're correct. And. In- 
the sense that it's conservative, but it wasn't created in response to George Floyd. It was created by three Florida moms in the wake of what they saw as authoritarianism in response to COVID-19, so primarily school closures and mass mandates. They have expanded to cover a wide range of, well, sort of a narrow range, I guess, of cultural issues, CRT, gender stuff, et cetera. And they're very scary to many progressives, but their controversies have really kind of been blown out of proportion by organizations like the Southern Poverty Law Center. I should say they are technically nonpartisan, and I'm sure they do have some Democratic or formerly Democratic members, including Beth. But you can pretty reliably predict their stance on any issue by asking yourself, like, would a conservative organization hoping to be respectable and influential in mainstream politics do this thing? And if the answer is yes, they'll probably back it. So yes to banning drag queen story hour, no to Jewish space lasers. Not sure where they stand on bombing Mexico. I'm not sure I trust an organization that is a Jewish space laser denialist, to be honest. But I'll set that I mean, aside. you have one, don't you? I have several Jewish space lasers, yeah. You get your foreskin cut and then you get... Is that how they cut the foreskin <laughs> with the space laser? Use a suborbital cannon. Very precise. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how we circumcise our babies these days. So Moms for Liberty, they really are less extreme than you might think based on news coverage or Twitter. And I say this as someone who really vehemently disagrees with them on, on many issues. But they get an outsized amount of attention, I think, because they're particularly effective and they're playing the electoral game very well. So, for example, in 2022, over half the school board candidates they endorsed won their elections. And in some states, that number was way higher. So in Florida, 80 percent of their candidates won. And in terms of membership, it's grown to about 120,000 members in 45 states. So at this point, it's one of the largest and most influential grassroots education campaigns. And they're particularly good at finding vulnerabilities in progressive messaging and then exploiting them. But they have had some controversies of their own. Like what kind of controversies? Well, there was the Hitler thing. Do you remember that? Vaguely. This was, well, just, yeah, what was it? Okay, so what happened was that a chapter in Indiana published a newsletter with the quote, he alone who owns the youth gains the future. And that's apparently a, a quote that belongs to Mr. Hitler. Someone takes a photo thank of you this. For, thank you for calling him Mr. <laughs> Hitler. Give him the, the honor. Hair? Hair Hitler? Her, just, it's fine. Her. Her <laughs> Hair Hitler. Hitler. Yeah. And someone takes this a photo of this, posts it online, it goes viral. And people think that this was an endorsement of Hitler's message when I think it was meant to be more of a warning. Yeah. The chapter ended up apologizing, but clearly the damage was done. This when this happened, it sort of like jumped out at me as an example of the like endless negative partisanship and polarization. Um, you have to be pretty oblivious to think that in 2023, a fairly mainstream group would be like, "Yep, this is Hitler's message, and we endorse it." It takes like 30 right. seconds of critical thinking to say they're they're engaging in the time honored opponent of calling their opponents Hitler for trying to manipulate right. the youth. They're trying to fight that. Um, whatever you think of the group, you should if you're ever at a point where you think your opponent is literally endorsing Hitler and you're not talking to an actual Nazi, maybe take a step back, even if you disagree with the group. I mean, it probably didn't help that they were cross-stitching it on pillows, but yeah. <laughs> so is this why, uh, and well, they also put out that pamphlet with a final uh, solution to the <laughs> youth indoctrination problem. Uh, is this why you often see them called a hate group? Well, yes, that's part of it, but I think that actually started before this. So the Southern Poverty Law Center put them on its hate map, uh, It's although technically they classify them as an extremist group, not a hate group. Their page on the SPLC website lists a bunch of their most problematic tweets, some of which are pretty milquetoast, like, quote, my line in the sand is calling a singular human they them. Go ahead and call me me names. I can take it. They retweeted that and like, same. I mean, 
I respect pronouns, but that is like a a thing that is being debated now is what are the limits of like pronouns and self ID and my parents got the intelligence report when I was growing up, which is like this magazine, the Southern Poverty Law Center put out. Um, and it was like, we uncovered, uh, uh, you know, a neo-Nazi ring in Louisiana that planned to bomb black churches. That right. to me is is hate, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Making fun of they they pronouns is not necessarily that same level or maybe shouldn't get the same level of uh, attention. Okay, so the worst one on that list was, this was from a member of a chapter in Arkansas who said, quote, if I had any mental issues, they would have been plowed down with a gun by now. That was said, a woman said that about a school librarian and was actually indicted for terroristic threats. That's bad. Um, but nothing else comes even close to violent rhetoric, at least that I've seen. But but was that a, like a person in a leadership position or a random member? I'm not sure. It might have been a random number, member. I don't know. If I had a mental issue, if I had any mental issues, they would have been plowed. Yeah, it's like a terrorist threat and they were held accountable for it. Okay. And they probably do have mental issues because they tweeted that publicly. I, I, I am on any major actual political questions likely more aligned with lefty groups like BLM than these guys. But do you really think you could not find a BLM member who tweeted something crazy? Would it then be fair to call right, them a right. hate group? And the other big controversy is their affiliation with the Proud Boys. So the SPLC says, quote, one of the most notable connections is the association with several chapters with the Proud Boys, a white nationalist groups group. Pictures have circulated across social media of Moms for Liberty leaders and members posing with the Proud, the Proud Boys in their full regalia. To be clear, their full regalia is uh, polo shirts. <laughs> Vice also reported that Moms for Liberty has, quote, formed links with extremist groups and militias. But in neither of these cases, they don't really detail what the alleged links are. I mean, like, I do not doubt that some members of Moms for Liberty support the Proud Boys because they have some overlapping values. But whatever links they have are certainly not official. One, yeah, the evidence here is on the SPLC website, webpage. Bridget Ziegler was recently elected to the Sarasota County School Board, a victory due in part to local Proud Boys, who she was pictured celebrating with afterwards. Yeah, I mean, it looks like they have some members who are, I mean, it's hard to know. I just, it's like between the SPLC and Vice, you need to be so careful and triple check everything. But yeah, it looks like they have some members who are who uh, pose with Proud Boys and stuff like that. Yeah, it's there's 120,000 people in this group at least. I'm not that doesn't surprise me at all. Okay, wait. So how did how did uh, the subject of our story Beth Bourne come to be associated with Moms for Liberty? Well, basically what happened is that no one else was listening to her. So she reached out to the League of Women Voters and uh, Seroptimist International, which is another women's group. And Seroptimist? Yeah, I was not familiar with it. Um, and they didn't want to have anything to do with her. And she knew her friends weren't going to join her. So when she wanted to do this protest outside the high school over the author's talk that I mentioned a little while ago, she needed people to show up. So she reached out to Moms for Liberty. And they make it really easy to start a chapter. So you reach out to National. They help you make a website. You get nonprofit status automatically. So she started a chapter and started hosting meetings in town, which brings us to what happened on August 20th and why Davis is all of a sudden in the news. Okay, so what was that? Okay, so Yolo County Moms for Liberty had a meeting schedule. Wait, 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 wait. Yes, wait. it's Yolo, Yolo County. Yolo County? Yes. <laughs> Correct. Such a good name for a county. Yeah, so it's Yolo County, and they had a meeting scheduled at the public library that Sunday, August 20th. This was their fifth meeting at the library. And Beth says that she likes to hold them there because the library is really inexpensive. And so and she also wants the meetings to be public so anyone can check them out. And because it's a library, they have to let them hold the meeting there. 
A private venue could refuse, but libraries, they're basically government institutions, and they can't discriminate in terms of who's allowed to use them. They might not like it, and as you will see, the Davis Library certainly didn't. Uh, They also frequently sponsor trans events. They really didn't like it at all. But as government institutions, they're covered by the First Amendment. Like, really, they can't discriminate based on viewpoint. And some librarians understand that it's not their place to police speech. This has been a a debate within the librarian community for a long time. Uh, Some librarians won't ban groups, even if activists or community members are demanding that they do. So a few years ago, there was a big conflict in Seattle when Megan Murphy and a number of radical feminists uh, booked a room at the public library. Activists tried to shut them down. There was a big protest. Activists even filed civil rights complaints against the library. But the, the head librarian, to his immense credit, refused to cancel the event despite pressure from the community. But in Davis, the librarian's commitment to free speech is well, – we'll get to that. Okay. So the first four Moms for Liberty meetings were held at the library with very little issue. Beth always puts on the flyers. This event is being held by Moms for Liberty Yellow County. This does not constitute the library's endorsement. She's explicit about this. The library – the event is at the library, but it is not a library event. And at each of the meetings, protesters would generally stand outside the meeting room with signs or outside. There's been the occasional disruption, but really not much overt conflict. Beth says that she would like the protesters to come in and hear what they have to say. But until August 20th, for the most part, they just stayed outside. Uh, And then on August 20th, so that's a Sunday, the fifth meeting happens. This one is titled Forum on Fair and Safe Sports for Girls. And they had five speakers lined up. So athletes, Title IX lawyers, Beth herself was going to talk, et cetera. There was a protest outside this one as well. We have a little footage from one encounter that was posted on Twitter. Jesse, do you want to watch this? Ask you why you think that males should be in female sports? Stop misgendering people. That's bigotry. Go away. That's a question. It's bigotry. Go away. <laughs> do you, you, you want to be transphobic? Go be transphobic, kids transphobic kids not to a child. Kids yeah. should what? Oh, okay. These are children, and they're minors, and okay. you may not talk to them, and especially you may not try to perpetuate bigotry with them. Please go away. That's interesting. Yes, yeah, okay. so don't talk to these minors. Go away. I'm not going to go away, but I will walk away. Okay, that's fine. But you cannot try to be transphobic with I can't? Minors. Nope. I can't? No, because I'm going to stand in front of you. And how is Between, that true? Please, explain to, please kids, explain to me how I am saying... protecting these children from you. So please go away. Oh, my God. Yep. Oh, wow. Bye. Is this insane or what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pure insanity. Let me ask some other people. Everyone involved is just protecting the kids, Katie. <laughs> Save the children. Okay, so as you can see, that woman, that protester outside, really did not want to hear what the speakers have to say, and she was not alone in this position. The head librarian also did not want to hear them speak. I'm going to play you another clip. This is one of the scheduled speakers talking to the head librarian. He's a guy named Scott Love. This was about 15 minutes before the event started. And you're going to hear his voice first, and then you're going to hear a woman speaking on speakerphone to him. That woman is Kim Jones from the Independent Council on Women's Sports. She was supposed to be speaking in person, but she couldn't make it, so she was going to speak remotely. State law, California state law, recognizes transgender as as protected. And so I was telling her, if you're speaking about a transgender female, they need to be referred to as a female. Transgender male needs to be referred to as a male. And if there's any mis- misgendering, we will um, ask if it's by any of the organizers, they will be asked to leave. There's no, no exceptions. If we're having problems in the audience, um, you know, we may give one warning. I'll be in there the whole time. So 
Well, this is treating people. This is this is under treating people with respect. If you are, if you are referring to a transgender female as a male, it is protected in the state of California. Okay, wait. So this librarian is claiming that it it'll be against the law if someone is misgendered at this event? Yeah, so he seems to live in some parallel universe where not treating someone with respect, as he says, is illegal in the state of California. So I don't know about murder in this universe, but you cannot disrespect the pronoun. Okay, so they get this warning from the librarian. If you misgender anyone or you call trans women men, you're out. Wait, sorry. So he said, he's, he's explicitly saying if you refer to trans women competing in sports as like including calling them male or biologically male, you can't have this event at a public library? Yes. Okay. They start the event. The first speaker is an athlete named Sophia Laurie, and she almost immediately violates this new state law, and she refers to, quote, the physiological advantage of male athletes and the emotional and psychological impact on girls when men play on their sports teams. I'm going to play you a clip of what happens next. Again, the male voice you're going to hear is librarian Scott Love, and he's followed by by one of the speakers and scattered voices from the audience, many of whom, because there were a lot of protesters there, were draped in trans flags and other rainbow paraphernalia and face masks. California state law, please, please let me know. California state law recognizes trans women as women. They are protected under state law. Sir. Our policy, our policy talks about treating people with respect. And if you are misgendering somebody, that is not respectful. That will not be accepted. I'm sorry. Could you direct us to the California Code? I don't have it with me, I'm sorry. His point still stands. Okay. 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 Not everybody else. I mean, this isn't like getting shot in the head or shipped off to Siberia for criticizing Stalin, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit chilly because like this guy does work for the state government of California and he's barging into a meeting. He has no role running nor he's not allowed to interfere with this meeting and just making up a new rule that they're somehow, they can't even... This is like sort of the the extreme end of the no platforming debate where you get like someone who is and look he's a virgin on elderly librarian but he is like an agent of the state interfering with a public debate. That's not good. This is so obviously unconstitutional. It's bizarre. It's bizarre that he also seems to really think that it is illegal in the state of California to misgender people. Of course it's not. The California state law does not supersede. I mean, the law doesn't exist. But even if it did, it doesn't supersede the fucking constitution. And he, he actually shuts them down. So they ask to move to a reading room. He says no. So they move to a nearby park to finish the meeting. And pretty quickly after that... Videos of the event get posted online and start to go viral. And what the librarian did is such a clear violation of the First Amendment that for at least a little while, the women seem to have the moral high ground here. 
So in Davis, where Beth Bourne and Moms for Liberty about as popular as Hitler, some people were actually saying, like, look, I might not agree with what they say, but they should be able to say it. Of course, not everyone. Plenty of locals think that the librarian is a hero. But it's at least breaking open the conversation. Even a local columnist wrote that the librarian overstepped his bounds and violated their First Amendment rights. But really quickly, things shift. So once the video of the event goes viral— the story gets picked up by right-wing media and influencers, libs of TikTok, gays against groomers, etc. Like the same people who are trying to get drag queen story hours banned from libraries, all of a sudden they care about free speech. But of course, it's not just the fake free speech dilettantes who pick this up, thank God. Our friends at FIRE issue a statement, although uh, the National ACLU and the ACLU of Northern California have been conspicuously quiet. I wrote both groups. There's a... There's- a pe- oh, you wrote both groups. Asked yeah, them. and Penn, and <laughs> yeah, nobody's saying shit. That there's a pattern here because I there was the most um, low hanging fruit First Amendment case in Massachusetts where a kid came to school wearing a "There are only two genders or only two sexes" shirt, which mm-hmm. whatever is provocative and obnoxious, but it's like textbook First Amendment. Uh, and well, it's whatever. Kids don't have 100% full First Amendment rights in school, but they're largely protected. Speech is largely protected in terms of a shirt. So I emailed the Massachusetts ACLU. As long as the shirt isn't above their knees. <laughs> so I emailed uh, Mass ACLU, I believe, twice. Uh, yeah, utter silence on these issues yeah. where a decade ago, this this is their bread and butter. This is how they make right. their money defending ca- from donors, defending cases like this. No more. There's basically no groups left that do that except fire. Yeah. And I went to the ACLU website to try to find their media contact. And the website is just like trans issues. So there's clearly a conflict with, within this organization. But like it, it does seem like the easiest shit that they should be able to just condemn would be a librarian shutting down a fucking event, but they don't. Total silence. Uh, one person who does speak up, however, is Riley Gaines. Jesse, are you familiar? Yeah, she's a college swimmer who emerged in um, in the wake of the Leah Thomas controversy as like I think the most famous former college athlete to to call for you know continuing classic sex segregated sports and against trans women in sports in uh, female categories. Yeah, she competed for the University of Kentucky. She tied for fifth place in the 200-yard freestyle national championships with Leah Thomas, so they actually competed against each other. Uh, Leah Thomas then went on to win the 500 freestyle in the women's division despite having, you know, a male body. And I assume all of our listeners are very familiar with Leah Thomas at this point, but that issue galvanized Riley Gaines. And not just that Leah was swimming against women, but that she was allowed to change in the women's locker room. So Riley changed in the locker room with her, and no one was supposed to complain about that. Riley Gaines has now made it sort of her career to complain about it. And yeah, she's probably the most outspoken, famous college swimmer arguing against trans women's sports uh, at this point. She's also campaigned for conservative politicians. She's testified in the Senate. And she was physically attacked by protesters at an event she was speaking at at San Francisco State University. Do you remember this, Jesse? The university president was like, would you call it praise? I, I don't remember exactly what he said, but was this, am I getting my psychotic left wing college protesters mixed up? Or was this the one where she was effectively kidnapped for a few hours and held in a room? Yeah, no, that was it. She was held in the room. So kidnapping is now legal uh, in this university? Yeah, but misgendering is not. It is so State of California, unbelievably man. crazy. Okay, so Riley Gaines, she sees these videos floating around, and she tweets this to her 700,000 followers. This is a a video of of, uh, the librarian. This is ridiculous but not shocking. A female athlete silenced for calling a spade a spade. I guess that's what she calls dicks. Props to this girl for sticking her ground. Do we know the librarian's name and or phone number? We need silent majority to do its thing. 
And then somebody gets her the librarian's name and phone number. And so under the next tweet, she posts, The library is Mary L. Stevens Davis Branch Library located in Davis, California. Everyone call. She lists the phone number. And she also asks people to leave bad reviews, which they do. So my favorite Yelp review is from Joe B. in Fourth Word, Texas. He says, This library is run by the alt-left. They tried to groom my child and hate free speech. They need to be defunded. One star. Do you think they tried to groom (laughs) my child? The Davis Library groomed the child of Joe B. in Fort Worth, Texas. That's pretty bad. Yeah. The long long arm of the library. Okay. So in addition to leaving bad reviews online, people did contact the library directly to complain and and then posted about it under uh, Riley's tweet. And then so on Monday, so after she posts this, August 21st, this is the day after the meeting, someone sends an email to the Fox 40 news station in Sacramento threatening to blow up the library in Davis. Jesus Christ. This was, of course, a fake threat, yes. They took it seriously, as they should. They evacuated the building. Apparently, there were helicopters flying around town. People were reasonably freaked out about this. Okay, so do we know who sent the email? We don't, at least yet. So I filed a public records request to get the email, but it was denied because it's part of an ongoing investigation, so it's exempt from disclosure laws. But the county sheriff's department, their spokesperson said that the email, quote, made a threat to blow up the library at a specific time and used derogatory terms towards gender preference. Uh, Now, when it comes to these things, I really do think that it's smartest to wait until the investigation has concluded before making any kind of conclusion about whose fault it was, even if it seems obvious, because we've seen over and over that hate crimes are sometimes, you know, not actually hate crimes, but please for attention. Hello, Jesse Smollett. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you in theory. I mean, in this case... It's clear how doing something like what Riley Gaines did would bring out a lot of the sorts of weirdos who might issue a terroristic threat. Yeah, for sure. But I think for media in particular, like you can't go on circumstantial evidence in a case like this. Pink News, however, did. They uh, immediately assigned blame to blame to Riley Gaines. They published an article called Riley Gaines Anti-Trans Harassment on Social Media Linked to Bomb Threat on California Library, that doesn't come from like a sheriff statement or any kind of inside knowledge that they have about the investigation. It's it's pure speculation. And it absolutely could have been someone who saw Riley's tweet or one of her followers who was like, yeah, I'm doing this. I wouldn't doubt it at all. But Pink News doesn't know for sure that it was. Media Matters did basically the same thing, although they don't, didn't make the connection as explicitly. And regardless, Media Matters, they're American. They're protected by the First Amendment, the same First Amendment that the Davis librarian dismissed. But Pink News is a British publication. They don't have those protections. And they've been successfully sued uh, over making spurious claims in the past, including by friend of the pod, Julie Bendel. So when Riley threatened to sue them over this piece, that might not have been an idle threat on her part. Yeah, they probably should not have printed that headline. But Jesse, so what do you think about Riley Riley Gaines tweeting the phone number and telling people to call the library? I mean, in 2023, you know exactly what's going to happen. If you do that, she has to know. She's very online. You said she has 700,000 followers? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is why you should not weaponize the internet to settle these issues. So this librarian seems like a jerk. He seems like an ignoramus. The internet never serves the quote-unquote correct amount of justice to someone who's they being... should have fired him this time <laughs> can the internet uh, do that this is this is this is what always happens this is like sort of the whole you know john ronson so you've been publicly shamed however however much you think this guy screwed up this ensures that a bunch of library employees are going to be hit with a wave of harassment and it 
I will, you know, it's not as though Riley Gaines knew someone would would do a bomb threat or some sort of threat, but how is that not going to happen? How is someone not going to do that? So if you're Riley Gaines, like maybe just be like, I don't want to be the person who they can then pin this on. Maybe it would have been someone else doing the big viral post, but I, it's just a really bad idea in 2023. Well, and it also makes groups like Moms for Liberty and Beth Bourne and people who Riley Gaines supports, it makes them look bad. And as you can imagine, if Beth was literal Hitler and Davis before this, now that there's been a bomb threat, actually, now that there's been three bomb threats by this point, by the time we're recording this, Beth is worse than literal Hitler and Davis. She's literal Trump. I asked her how she felt about Riley's post. She declined to comment on that, citing some potential forthcoming legal action against the library. But I looked at Ooh. yeah, uh, but I looked at her Facebook page after the third bomb threat, and people are blaming her. So whatever goodwill. Wait, yeah, <laughs> not Riley Gaines. They're Beth. blaming. They're calling her- Beth Bourne for just hosting the event. Yeah, they're calling her a terrorist. I think the common thread here is it just so happens to be the fact that you're not allowed to argue the other side of these issues. There's right. always some reason why, but you're not allowed to. Right, but this has made Beth's position so much less defend defensible within Davis, and it's not just people. In Davis, who are commenting on this on her Facebook page, it's people from outside as well. Uh, so, if people were afraid to defend her before, now they're definitely not going to. This bomb threat meant it's even harder for her to find potential allies. And the official response from the mayor of Davis, his name is Will Arnold, was to condemn the bomb threats and reaffirm Davis's support for for trans people and trans rights. But he hasn't said shit about the local librarian violating the First Amendment. Like she's on her own here. Well, sure, but like. He's the mayor of a very liberal town, surely has some degree of political savviness. He's not going to go close to being seen as defending uh, the bad people trying to speak in the library, even if if a principled mayor would do that. I will say what Riley Gaines did was very bad, and I think we should let her know. So I'm going to read out her telephone number and home address, and people can just respond accordingly. Is that okay? Sure, yeah. They can also leave Google reviews. <laughs> so I asked Beth about how like how this has been for her. You know, She's estranged from her daughter. Her friends have disappeared. She's persona non grata in her community. Now people think she's a literal terrorist. And she said that she doesn't really care about this stuff. Like what she cares about is that her child is doing well, as far as Beth can tell. Socially, she's doing really – sorry, they. Socially, they're doing really well. They're doing really well in school. You know, the kid now identifies as non-binary. Beth said, you know, non-binary can be a an on-ramp to, to trans identification. It can also be an off-ramp. Uh, so it's, a you know, it's a hard thing, I think, for her to talk about. She feels weird about talking about her kid to a journalist. But she also told me that the reason she does this, the reason she, she talked to me, is because other parents are going through this and she wants them to hear stories like their own. <laughs> Yeah, I just remain very leery about like we're talking about a 17-year-old who we haven't talked to. We're only getting the mom side of it. So I just like – look, it seems clear that Beth Bourne doesn't want her kid to turn out to be trans. I'm guessing she would say she doesn't want the kid to be medicalized. but For sure. You just got to be really careful in a situation like this because, you know, maybe the non-binary thing will lead them to being cis again. But you don't don't know and it's just like – it's bad that this fight, which is fundamentally about like medicine and science and evidence, keeps getting fought in the form of like debating anecdotes where no one has the full story. That happens over and over again. Well, bomb threats definitely help uh, calm the conversation down. Definitely. That's what we need. More bomb threats. I think that's like our takeaway from most situations is if more people violently threatened one another, stuff would get resolved sooner. Okay, maybe not bomb threats, but at least laying down in the road. Glitter bomb threats. Yeah, sure. Anything else on this, Katie? It sounds like the city of Davis 
uh not sure i'm gonna move there i was considering it but not anymore i think you should i think they'd give you the key to the city welcome me with open arms. Should i run should i run for mayor <laughs> you should uh, get a job as a head librarian yeah i guess that does that wrap this up was there anything else you want to mention about it wraps it up for now thank you katie uh this has been blocked reported as always we are produced with help from tracing Woodgrains and the mysterious lex i'm jesse single and remember we gotta go to fucking work and I'm Katie Herzog, and also remember, following a recent poll finding that Moms for Liberty is losing public support, they've announced they are rebranding to MILFs for Freedom.